0: Welcome to Battle Rhythm, a podcast dedicated to security and defense issues from a Canadian and international perspective. I'm Steve Sidman. I hold the Patterson Chair in International Affairs at Carleton University. I'm also Director of the Canadian Defense and Security Network. Battle Rhythm is a part of the Canadian Defense and Security Network's podcast network, available on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and all the usual places to get your podcasts. Please join us every two weeks for our new episodes of Battle Rhythm, and also check out the other podcasts in our network. Uh, you can find them, again, on our website or at the CDSN Podcast Network on your favorite podcast provider. And before we start, we should acknowledge that our podcast is produced at Carleton University, which is located in unceded Algonquin Territory, which is home to the Anishinaabe Nation. Thank you. Usually we have an episode of Battle of Drop uh, on every other Wednesday, but we're going to be busy with our Summer Institute. So instead, we are introducing our new podcast, the CDSN Podcast Network, The Field Report, which is based on the experiences of the NATO Field School. It's a group of professors and students based at Simon Fraser University, but students come from all over the place, who go to Europe to go to a variety of NATO headquarters and into the field to understand what NATO is and what it's doing. And we can't think of a better time for us to be thinking more about NATO, given the threats going on in uh, the East and what's going on in Ukraine. And so Hannah Christensen, Haley Lathammer, Lauren Mannix, and Salman Rogers will be producing this. The first episode, they interview J.C. Boucher, who's a professor at Calgary. I think this is a terrific opportunity to learn more about NATO and for these uh, students and other folks to share their experiences and the lessons they've learned. From wandering around europe so enjoy the field report this is the first of many episodes for this podcast thank you very much
1: hello and welcome to the field report brought to you by the students and staff of the nato field school at simon fraser university an experiential learning program in security defense and diplomacy in the nato field school we bring students to learn about current events issues and decision making directly from experts and practitioners in the field And in this podcast, we hope to do the same for you. Each episode, you'll hear from students, faculty, and guest speakers on what we've been able to learn about security and defense in the field. My name is Hannah Christensen, I'm the program coordinator of the NATO Field School, and I'll be your host for today's episode. In this episode, the NATO Field School travels to Calgary, Alberta, where several alumni are taking part in a workshop on the relationship and impacts of news media on national defence. This workshop was hosted by the Canadian Defence and Security Network and the University of Calgary School of Public Policy and supported by the Department of National Defence Minds Initiative. In this workshop, participants gathered to discuss questions surrounding the relationship between news media and national defence in Canada. What impacts does the news media they consume have on Canadians' perception of national defense? What impacts could that news have on the national defense itself? To unpack all of this today, I'm joined by NATO Field School alumni Haley Lothimer, Lauren Mannix, and Solomon Rogers. Welcome to The Field Report. Thank you all so much for joining me. I wanted to start in with Solomon. Before this workshop, we were asked a little bit to reflect and go through some of the, the recent stories that we might have seen in the media about Canadian security and defence topics. So we'll start with you. What did you find looking into this issue?
2: Well, I've noticed that the stories that I tend to see on social media and news media tend to be things like statements from the defense minister, often a lot of stories around procurements and contracts, a lot of information about recruitment issues. But in the last year, we've also seen a lot of information coming about Ukraine and supporting Ukraine. And then finally, I think the most prominent, critical piece of news coverage that I keep seeing is sexual misconduct investigations and updates around, around that. Haley, what have been some stories that you've seen?
3: Yeah, thank you for that debrief, Solomon. I I would really like to emphasize your point about the majority of stories about the Canadian Armed Forces in particular covering investigations into sexual misconduct and broader issues surrounding that topic. I think that's definitely something that I've seen a lot in the news and other social media sites. And I would also like to emphasize the more recent news stories covering NATO and Finland's accession to NATO and the role that Canada has played in supporting Ukraine and otherwise in the Defense Alliance more broadly. And how about for you, Lauren? Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah, certainly the sexual misconduct has been top of mind for the last couple of years regarding the military. I find I also, there's a lot of articles I come across talking about our equipment being quite a bit older than it sh- like probably should be, and also concerns from allies about our capabilities in general.
0: Yeah,
1: I think all those pieces cover definitely the, the negative trends I would say we've seen for the last little while. Lauren, you mentioned that The sexual misconduct allegations, this most recent batch started in 2021, that we really saw a splash of these across news media. And I think that most people would argue that this has sort of been the negative cycle we've been in since then. There hasn't been a lot of positive stories about you know, implementing meaningful change on this. I would say a similar sort of negative downward cycle on pe- what people would say about procurement issues and recruitment. And even on some of those more positive stories, I would say for Canadians, the positive stories about our armed forces tend to come through their responses on uh, natural disasters. And usually what I see in the media on this from the armed forces, Forces and defense side is emphasizing that this should not be the primary goal or um, use of our armed forces. So even those positive stories end up having a little bit of a negative tint on them as well. Perfect. So switching gears a little bit now, I'm wondering if you all can tell me a little bit about going into this workshop. You obviously had an interest in this area. I'm wondering, maybe we can start with you, Lauren. What were you hoping to learn from this experience or did you have any key questions you wanted answered through this workshop?
4: Yeah, I think my burning question was really the difference between social media platforms and traditional media outlets. Because they have very different business models and very different types of people interact with those sort of different stakeholder groups. So I was curious what that would turn out like on topics of national defense and military and things like that.
1: Perfect. And Haley, some uh, some similar topics for you, or were you going in a different area? Yeah, I think definitely what Lauren touched on about the differences between traditional
3: media and social media was also a burning question that I really wanted to dive into during this workshop. But I think I was also a little bit more interested in learning about why the Canadian public has engaged less with media in this respect, about why defense does not seem to be a prominent topic in the media. And whether it was because of the media's desire, the government's desire, the public's lack of interest in this topic, I was really hoping to learn a little bit more about that subject area.
1: Perfect. And for you, Solomon, I know in the past we've talked about some issues with cyber and disinformation. Dis- was that your main focus going into this as well?
2: Yeah, I was really curious to see whether misinformation and disinformation was going to be a topic that would be discussed and whether we would have some strategic communications or cyber solutions to improve. I guess, Canadian resilience and societal resilience in terms of how we view our armed forces. And I was interested to see how voters also see our armed forces and how public opinion is shaped by the information that we get from news media.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think those large form surveys about public opinion um, in these areas, that's something I was excited about and particularly of our host, our lead organizer for this workshop, uh, Jean-Christophe Boucher. This is really his key area uh, of research or one of the, the areas he does a lot of research in. And I'm excited that uh, in our next section, we'll be able to talk to him a little bit more about this and how he felt the workshop went.
4: Okay, so now we are delighted to be joined by our guest speaker, J.C. Boucher. J.C. is a professor at the School of Public Policy and the Department of Political Science at the University of Calgary, and he is an expert on international relations in the areas of foreign policy and international security. Currently, J.C. holds research grants from Canada's Department of National Defense and the Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council of Canada to study information operations and civil-military relations. Central to his research is the use of applied machine learning and empirical evidence to better understand the relationships between digital media, society, and defense policy. So thank you very much for joining us, J.C., and welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you
3: so much, Lauren, for that introduction, and thank you, J.C., for being here today. The first question we have for you is, why is the topic of media and defense important to Canadians?
5: That's a good question. So surprisingly, there's actually not a lot of work done on media and national defense. I mean, writ large, there's not a lot of work on civil military relations in Canada, which is very surprising because in other countries, especially in the US, but in the UK and France, there's a there's a deep and rich literature on the relationship between society and national defense or armed forces. And I think this is an interesting and fundamental principle of democracies, right? We in democracies we have essentially an armed forces who has somewhat, you know, the the monopoly of violence in our society. and the relationship between the society the population and the armed forces is always one that is you know extra tense and and conflictual and, and very important to how we run our societies right in some ways you know these institutions have the capacity to you know amass and create their own policies they can take these things and really kind of create a society and control society and we've seen this Across the world where you know armed forces in Egypt or in Burma or other countries where you know the armed forces are the political actor controlling our society. So in democracies, this tension, this relationship between those who have weapons and the control of violence and the societies is a is one of trust, of relationships, of oversight that is fundamental to how we run our democracies. And the way we've done this in our democracies is that it's actually civilians who have control over the military, that the military are really, you know, executing the will of civilians and civilians kind of trust them in holding and doing this task. So a lot of countries actually study these relationships, right? How are the military institutions connected to political democratic institution? What kind of oversight do civilians have over the military? What is the role of the military in a democratic society, especially in a society like ours, which has voluntary You know, service for the armed forces. And surprisingly, in Canada, there's almost nothing done on this. We have like hodgepodge of scholarship done in the 80s and the 90s on on this relationship, on public opinion and national defense, on almost nothing on media and national defense. And in my mind, and the reason why I've decided to kind of focus on this because of this kind of absence of literature, a lot of the intuitions we have, a lot of the assumptions we have come from the United States. Or European countries, which is highly problematic because Canadian society is very different from the American society. Our relationship with the military is very different. We have a multinational country with Francophones, First Nations, Métis, and Inu that have really different kind of relationship with military institutions. And so all of this speaks to really focusing on this. So in the grand scheme of things, it has like a a very basic importance with how we run our democracy and how we handle the relationship with military institutions. And also from an academic perspective, there's almost nothing done, which is great, which means that you can do everything you want, but also means that You have to create your own data. You have to kind of create your own group of of scholars. And that becomes a challenge and something interesting uh, to do.
3: Thank you very much for that answer. That was really insightful. And it's definitely a little bit alarming to see that there's not too much done on civil military relations in Canada. So now we'll transition a bit to talking about the workshop. So what were the big takeaways for you? What stood out from our workshop on media?
5: Uh, So our goal was we had like different kinds of objectives. The first one is really create an environment where scholars, emerging scholars, and people from the government could come together and talk about these issues. And we don't really have often these kinds of forums, especially in academia, we have tendency to kind of stay in our ivory towers. A lot of the work we do doesn't translate well often in the, you know, the practitioner's world and vice versa. Sometimes like academics feel that the practitioners are very kind of closed minded and have have a very narrow view of how to do their work. So creating a space for that was like fundamental. I wanted to kind of bring everyone together and bring this board. And I think in terms of takeaway, I think it worked well. I was very surprised with how stakeholders from national defense really were kind of interested in the topic, engaged with us, both in terms of explaining their work, but also kind of listening to kind of the concerns we have and how we deal with issues. And I felt as I moved away from the workshop, I felt that I had a very much better understanding of the kind of challenges that they were facing. I think that informs a lot of the work that I do. Like, okay, so this is how they think about these issues. And and also kind of focus on it allowed me to have a better appreciation of their priorities. Like this is how it looks like working every day in that kind of field and what kind of things are important for them. And I think it, that informs the work that I do because then I say like, okay, so if I want impact on policies, if I want my work to be relevant to policymakers and, and to public servants, then I have to address these priorities. Right? Like, I have to talk about these issues and staying within the confine of academic literature is just not enough. I come from a public policy school and part of the conversations that we have all the time here is we want to be relevant in academic literature, we want to be relevant in the public discourse, but we also want to be relevant and have impact at the policy level or engage with policymakers, public servants, and having this kind of dual conversation and uh, like takeaway stuff from there. So in terms of takeaway, that was really useful. The second part is I was really interested to see how emerging scholars would you know behave or react in that kind of environment. Sometimes we design especially conferences or symposiums as a as a one-way street where like the profs are kind of professing stuff and then like the students are kind of just taking it. And I wanted to kind of like undo a little bit of this. I want like the emerging scholars to be part of the conversation. See what makes them tick, see how they're thinking about issues and have them be thinking about these issues a lot more. Um and I felt that you know, surprisingly, we had a lot of emerging scholars in that group—a very diverse group too. And and I think that was kind of a, a good takeaway of this, like just bringing emerging scholars with people from government, you know, like established academics together in a room and have this kind of conversation. I think was just and that's what i want i wanted to kind of bring the emerging scholars into the orbit of what i do and what we do in academia at least in civil military relations have emerging scholars think about these issues bring their diversity to that conversation which i think is deeply and critically needed in canada and and kind of move forward from there i know when i was a young you know master student phd student profs would do this not in that kind of form, but similar. And i benefited from that. And hopefully in 10, 20 years, you guys will be the ones, you know, like doing this and paying forward or backward. And in terms of in kinds of takeaway, I got this out of this. Lastly, I think in broad strokes, we're really kind of had like, a, a, like different kinds of issues that we want to address. In my mind, it's still kind of like really broad. And I can't wait for Things to to move together and, you know, narrow each other. And, and this is kind of the takeaway that we want to do, like write a book and then a volume that would kind of bring together a lot of scholars that work on different kinds of issues and tie all of this together into, into something coherent, which I think is the next step.
3: Absolutely. That's fantastic. And thank you so much for going into a bit about how you see the role and the impact of news media in addressing these policy issues and so forth. I'll pass it over to my colleague, Lauren, to ask you a few more questions.
4: Yeah. So just on the subject of like the academic literature in Canada, you mentioned it being kind of hodgepodge and sporadic. And also to your comment about the coherence of it as well. I was curious, something that came up in the workshop was the news coverage is very fragmented and you can have like hyper-local news situations. So I was wondering, do you see any trends in the Canadian news media that transcend any of those regional differences with respect to coverage on national defense?
5: That's a good question. And it's an empirical question, right? And the answer is that right now, we don't have a lot of good data to kind of support the kinds of things we think we think, right? So for example, we think, or the literature says that there's a divide between Francophones and Anglophones, which I think is overdone. But some of the argument is because news media in French and English are very different. And so, you know, measuring both is useful. This is hardly done. Like I read papers all the time where people say like, I've done a review of Canadian literature just in English. And you're like, That's like 28% of the population you just like kind of ditched out. So this kind of like deep dive into Anglophone, Francophone literature is very important. Kind of compare both. We have a lot of assumptions and intuitions about, you know, different kinds of things, but I think we need to empirically validate this in a in a systematic fashion. The second part is what I haven't seen yet is is a, a deep and rich conversation about partisanship, media coverage, and national defense. Where you know in our media landscape, we have at least at the national level, you know some, some media outlets that are you know leaning the right, some are leaning left. Do they cover national defense differently? Some people say that there's a d- deep consensus on national defense in Canada. Some say there isn't. That the conservatives are more like Pro military, whereas liberals and NDP are less so. I don't think we have a lot of data on that either. We have like you know intuitions and and, and hypotheses, but none of this is verified in, in a systematic fashion. That deeply upsets me because when you go to the U.S., for example, there's like a media coverage, like there's academic literature on media polarization, and all of this is very good. We don't have that in Canada. And then there's like the regional divide, right? Like the assumption that you know we have regionally centered media coverage. And that's kind of interesting. So Canada's media landscape is kind of a layered Franco-Anglo kind of split. And then you have national versus regional. And then we have like this kind of divide. And measuring all of those hasn't been done in a systematic fashion. And I think we have to do this. So the good news is that all of this is to be done. The bad news is that You know, much of what I teach, when I teach things on media and national defense, it's pretty much assumptions, not based on empirical data. So that's one of the things that we want to do and focus on that. And we haven't even talked about like the Fragmented landscape of like alternative media, online media that are jumping in on media, on national defense issues. Like we're just talking mainstream media, so I feel all the time that we're like like starting from scratch and building data set. And I think where we are in the literature right now is just like building the empirical you know environment that will allow us to kind of ask deeper questions and and we're just measuring basic assumptions like is there a divide between franco and anglo is there a divide between you know left-leaning and right-leaning uh, newspaper is there a difference between online media and, and newspaper like none of this is done we just have to build it from scratch
4: yeah um i suppose my next question kind of flows from that but seeing as there isn't like you said that sort of robust body of empirical evidence i'm not sure I suppose it will be, I'll just be speaking to your intuition, but with respect to like the divide of media and things like that, and is it partisan? Is it not? I was curious, do you think despite all of those factors and variables, do you think Canadians are still being meaningfully informed on, we are still looking at a lot of like big issues coming out in the news media and do you think like on par it levels
5: out or? All right. So it's a a soapbox of mine. I think we make a lot of hay on how uninformed Canadians are on national defense and on foreign policy compared to other stuff. Right. And I think, I think that's a incorrect view of what public information is on most issues. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, most Canadians are uninformed about most things. So it's not as if national defense and foreign policy is worse. It's just that, you know, like what, what did we know about healthcare before the pandemic? Not a lot. And what we know about climate change like not a lot so most of us are kind of making judgments and opinions and preferences based on limited information and that's fine like in the grand scheme of things i think we have to work with that there's an argument oftentimes by government workers or even academics that because people don't have a deep understanding of issues somehow their opinions are discounted and i think that's an idiotic argument especially in democracy like it doesn't really matter if people are uninformed or inform, as like they still have opinions, they still vote and they still kind of pressure their MPs and make, you know, claims on national defense or foreign policy. So it's on us to kind of inform them and help them. And when I go around the world, it's the same thing. We see roughly a lot of people, general population, uninformed about these issues because like, people are busy and they have a lot of interest and like that's how this goes. So I think going kind of the information kind of way is unhelpful. I think we have to kind of make an argument that we have to understand better what shapes, attitudes, and coverage on these issues. And whether or not people are informed or uninformed doesn't matter, they still vote, they still make these preferences and these opinions and we have to deal with that. In some ways, we have to go where the voters and where the people are, instead of assuming on our end that like we know just more, way more than they do so we just have to discount their opinions in Canada at least for sure there's not a lot of depth in media coverage of national defense and there's not a lot of people covering national defense so there's not a lot of experts in the field it's not something that really drives media coverage so we have to deal with this compared to other countries where there's a, a deeper bench on national defense issues in the US for example in France or in the UK and that's just the reality of what we have to deal with in Canada What I feel now is that national defense is becoming more and more important, especially with rising tensions with China, with Russia, with the decline of the United States. When we do like experiments and when we can measure this, we see that that makes an impact on how people think about defense issues, uh, defense spending issues. So it does have an impact. And I have a kind of a boiling frog attitude to people like public opinion. Most people are unaware of most things. And as the temperature of like the pot goes up, then they get more aware of it, right? So, so people get more and more aware of national defense issues without them actually knowing that they are right. Nobody knew a lot of things on Russia 10 years ago, but now like we do a lot more, right? We didn't know a lot about, you know, how Russia spreads this information and uses far right and far left group in Canada to promote like Russian narratives. Now we know a lot of this. So people have a kind of instrumentalization view of information. When they don't need the information, they're not informed. And the more they need the information, the more they're getting informed. My sense is now Canadians are better informed than 10 years ago. Is it because we're doing a better job? No, it's because the environment is rising, like the temperature of the environment is raising so far and like people are getting warmer without them actually knowing that they're getting warmer. So so I think it's getting better. And I think the conversations we have in Canada are getting somewhat elevated, uh, a little bit more structured a lot more nuanced and realist than what we had like 10 years ago. And it makes sense. 10 years ago, we didn't think about like Russia or China as being like, you know, major problems, but now we do. So we're, we're adapting to the information that we're getting right now. And I think that's a good thing.
4: Yeah. I think that's a good point, actually. Just the idea that, you know, you only have so much bandwidth in your daily lives. So there are so many more questions I could ask to unpack all of that, but I will turn it back to Haley. Yeah. Thank you
3: so much for your time today, JC. It's been an absolute pleasure to hear all of your takeaways from the workshops and just your additional insights into the current media landscape on national defense. So thank you for joining us. Thank you so much.
1: Right. So, now that we've heard from JC on some of his thoughts on the workshop, I'd love to hear some of yours. So, Solomon, why don't you start us off? What uh, really stood out to you in the workshop?
2: What stood out to me was the caliber of individuals who were there. So, it was a fantastic mix of scholars and students, government professionals, military professionals, and even some marketing consultants and people from the private sector. And I was just surprised at how much interest there was across all sectors for the topic of how media and defense interact in our society. So, it stood out to me. About you know how well organized the whole uh, workshop was and it was a great guest list and i was grateful to be a part of it one of my main takeaways from the workshop was the role of uh, the relationship between media and defense is largely but unevenly reciprocal and that's unique in canada i think basically the canadian armed forces decisions and stories determine what is available for the media to report on but then the media reporting in turn may also have an impact on the decision-making direction of defense so all the nuances in between and that's what the research i think was really trying to understand you know in what way does media influence political decisions in canada at all and how does the population and voters respond? Does it even impact them at all? So I think it requires a lot more research on the subtopics of media and defence separately, but also how is it specific to the Canadian societal experience?
3: Yeah, for sure. I'd really like to emphasize your earlier point, Solomon, about just the variety of people and professionals that were present at the workshop. I think this was something that JC brought up during our interview as well, that it was just fantastic to have this mix of people in a single room and the open-mindedness and candor that they brought to our conversations was really insightful. I'd also like to highlight your point about this kind of two-way street between the media and government. I think that's a really interesting point. And it is kind of interesting to consider how there's a lot of overall ambiguity in this relationship still, although it's a little bit evident um, that there is like a two-way street between both of them. So I think one thing that was really surprising for me from the workshop was the relationship and thinking about diaspora populations in Canada and perhaps how the media they consume from their home countries outside of Canada can influence their perceptions of Canadian defence and security. That was a main takeaway for me and something that I found fairly surprising.
4: Yeah, I think the diversity of the stakeholders represented at the workshop was the big takeaway for me and also a really positive experience because those aren't typically individuals that I would come into contact with in my daily life. And so I think one of the things that I either wasn't expecting or wasn't even thinking about was, it seems we talk about sort of the divides and division in Canadian society based on whatever your circumstances are, whether you're, you know, civilian or whether you are involved in the Department of Defense. But what became clear throughout the workshop was it's less of a divide and more so just a difference of perspectives, not to gloss over any sort of difficulties or anything like that, but just in the sense that there was a lot more of a sense of like, okay, these are the particular issues that we're dealing with on this side, and these are the opinions or the difficulties that we're dealing with on this side, and sort of seeing that there is sort of, there's a more coherent and sort of common goal than we think, it's just a matter of how do we approach it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think Haley was mentioning earlier a little bit the diaspora media um, and that was something I hadn't really thought too much about before going into the workshop but of course we were talking when you're talking about public opinion as well sometimes that's divided regionally and diaspora media especially when there's just you know one option perhaps available in a language can be something that's quite cross-cutting in that sense so I was wondering on the sort of linguistic divides was that something that came up a bit in your interview as well? Yeah, for sure. So JC mentioned that in the academic
4: literature, there certainly is like a very prevalent divide. The example that he gave was when, you know, there's a literature review of Canadian defence or foreign policy or something like that, typically it is in one language or the other. And so that's something that is certainly a challenge in terms of well, if we're trying to have like one coherent narrative or a unifying understanding, that does pose a bit of a stumbling block. But then I suppose that's reflected in the media too. I mean, it's, if you're like English speaking only, then you're not necessarily going to be tuning into Francophone media and vice versa. That is prevalent for sure. But I think that despite all of those barriers, there doesn't seem to be that much reflected in terms of opinion or support of defence in the sense that there still is across the board, generally speaking, support of the Canadian De- Department of Defence, which was really nice to hear and surprising.
3: Yeah, I'd also share your surprise in this respect, Lauren. I thought it was a really interesting point for me from the interview with JC about how there seems to be, you know, contrary to expectation, a lack of division between Anglophone and Francophone media on this matter. But I think he still highlighted that there needs to be more of an overarching narrative about Canadian security and defence, which is based on shared positive qualities that's also simultaneously adaptable enough to, you know, counter these sort of like social media and other international news influences within the Canadian context.
2: And this actually reminds me of something that uh, someone at my working group mentioned the workshop is that there's sort of a duality of the role of media simultaneously as a mirror, but also as a prism. So I think that's what you're talking about there with the prismatic effect of media dividing fact into all sorts of interpretations because canada is a very diverse country with many regional linguistic cultural divides that make up the country so media in that way with all of its different facets it still could interpret the same thing but just in many many different ways so that's another takeaway for me i suppose
1: yeah and just to actually throw a little bit of a curveball question at you, it was just something i thought of while, while you guys were talking about this is um the the reflection solomon mentioned that that metaphor that came up in our working group of the the mirror and prism roles of the media and also since we were talking about all of the people that were present at this workshop um that's something that all of you emphasized and i really had a great experience with as well but as we were going through it, I realized that one one stakeholder that wasn't actually present, and I think now that I think about it, I can see the reason why, was the media, uh, maybe, you know, journalists uh, or, or folks in that, in that actual space. And when we're talking about this sort of black box that we're trying to figure out in the role of the media towards national defense, so the, the, the military and government officials that we spoke to obviously they're able to bring in some of that perspective from their interactions and their relationship and the scholars that were there as well. But I'm wondering how you think that might've made the conversations we had different there, or like Solomon mentioned, the the metaphor we used, what questions we might've actually had for the media in this conversation?
2: Well, it'd be interesting to see who do you invite then? If you're inviting the media, everyone has access. Well,
1: beneficially, actually, in this case, yeah. there's uh, only a few defense journalists in Canada. <laughs> so the guest list wouldn't actually, I don't think, extend too long. And and I'm sure there might have been extending reasons why they weren't able to join. I, I know JC knows them. So <laughs> that isn't really the, the question there. But I suppose I'm wondering, yeah, if you if you were to ask sort of that key question, leaving this uh, in this relationship to someone working in the media, trying to figure out their balance and their role in national defense, what 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 kind of question would you have for that person?
2: I'd wonder about business incentives and how much of an impact that takes into account when deciding which stories to write and publish versus which ones don't get enough attention. How you choose to in in quotations positive versus negative. Media towards the government, how do they balance that with their own personal journalism and their own beliefs? So, I think the media is just as multifaceted as the country. So, how do you separate your individual beliefs from what the media company wants to put out? And I guess the assessment that goes into editing as well. You know, there's a lot of things that are probably left out from the conversation, but you know, you have to kind of put everything into a smaller article or maybe a smaller news blurb. You have like two minutes of people's attention. So those would be the questions I'd ask.
4: Can I just ask a point of clarification, Hannah, when you're talking about there's only a couple um, military or media individuals in Canada, are they employed by the Department of Defense,
1: you mean, or? No, sorry, just because we don't really have that much of a defense focus in the media in Canada. There's only a few journalists, you know, specifically in Ottawa as well that really have Defense is their beat, so that as opposed to sort of the the generalists who might who might come in and cover a breaking news story or something um, similar to that. You know, CBC ha- has one or two, Global ha- has a couple, but the list of people who really focus in on on defense issues is pretty slim. So you can see how, from a, a general media standpoint, I would probably wonder, you know, how they make those calculations to to decide that because I think having the the folks who who understand this space really well as journalists is much more beneficial than you know having someone jump in on a particular story here and there it's really helpful to understand the nuances of the the beat that you're covering so a long oh. way of saying yeah there's there's genuinely a, a couple of people and yeah if you start <laughs> looking through those articles you'll see a lot of the same names Uh, Okay, yeah, my mind went to like military public affairs, but I see. (laughs) I mean, there is technically a limited number there as well, but I, I think more, really.
4: I think that's a really good question, though, because just sort of thinking about, okay, so who are these independent journalists who specialize in defense? I have no idea what the reason is that they wouldn't have been there, but my own personal opinion would be, well even though that they have an expertise on defense, I think they would still really be speaking from their more, their like circumstances as well. So like which segment of society that they represent, I still think that that would have a big influence on in terms of how they see the media. Yeah. Those are just my thoughts, whether, how close that is (laughs) to to reality or not. I'm not sure.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I think you both bring up good points about like biases and kind of assumptions that the media would make. And I think on that thread, my question for the media reporters in this instance would be if they make any conscious efforts to kind of step outside American and European assumptions about defense. I think this was also something that JC brought up during our interview. And I myself, when thinking about the context of Canadian defense and security, there are always these little elements of American security in particular that kind of seep into my perceptions about how I think about Canadian defense. So my question would be along the lines of, How would they make any conscious efforts or distinctions between what is Canadian security and what is American security and how that affects their reporting? It's a tricky question.
1: Great. Yeah. Thank you all for for tackling it, though. (laughs) Before we close for today, I just want to give you all a chance for for any final thoughts on this experience.
2: I was just really grateful to be a part of it. And yeah, I want to thank JC for bringing us out to Calgary. It was a great experience. We got to meet a lot of amazing individuals. LinkedIn's looking stacked now. So thank you for that. No, but it was genuinely really interesting intellectual thought, and it's going to impact my master's studies as well. I'm going to be looking into societal resilience and disinformation and misinformation definitely have a large role to play. So my personal studies are going to benefit from this as I move into my master's degree.
4: For myself, it was certainly a beneficial experience. In terms of the question of media, I think there was sort of a unanimous, I guess, conclusion that it's a much more nebulous concept than we think. So I think there's a, certainly an idea that going into the workshop, we think we, we were going to identify sort of all of the different segments of media and identify the different actors. And I think, at least for myself, I came out of it thinking, oh, this is a much more difficult question. So,
3: Yeah, I, I would agree in the same vein. I think I'd really like to kind of emphasize the fact that there's still so much work to be done in this particular field. I came into this workshop with a lot of assumptions about what kind of research and academic thought existed on media and defence in Canada. And I was surprised to find a lot of that was kind of contrary to what I thought and assumed about this topic. So I'm excited for the future. I'm excited for Solomon's research on this topic and and so
1: forth. And Perfect. We'll have to leave it there for today. So thank you so much to Dr. JC Boucher for joining us and, of course, for bringing us all out to Calgary. This episode of The Field Report was presented by Haley Lothamer, Lauren Mannix, and Solomon Rogers, with special thanks to Solomon as our producer and for our lovely theme song. I've been your host for today, Hannah Christensen. The Field Report is part of the CDSN podcast network, which features other excellent podcasts like Battle Rhythm, Conseil de Securité, and Security Escape. On behalf of the NATO Field School, thank you for listening, and we'll see you here next time.